Hello, and welcome to 15-Minute History. Each week, we teach you about important people, events, and places in 15 minutes. If this is your first time here, then thanks for joining us. Stay connected with us wherever you listen to podcasts and at our website at aetgroup.org, where you can find these recordings and transcripts for each episode. Now, let's start the show. I have persecuted its native inhabitants beyond all reason. Whether gentle or simple, I have cruelly oppressed them. Many I unjustly inherited. Innumerable multitudes, especially in the county of York, perished through me by famine or the sword. William the Conqueror. William watched the line of English shields on the hillside. The men behind them had moved. He had ordered a barrage of arrows, horses, and finally an infantry charge to break the wall, but it had not worked. Once his infantry got close, a salvo of spears, rocks, and clubs were thrown onto his men. The English cleaved through his line. The cavalry, which had advanced again to take advantage of any opening his infantry could create, pulled back and tried to regroup. He looked for the first man from his army to turn and run. That was all it would take. Finally, after a short while, he was rewarded. A single soldier turned and ran back down the hill. Others followed. His cavalry turned and made it to the base of the hill, regrouping again as more and more infantry turned and ran. William leaned forward on his horse and watched the line of English shields. As the last of his infantry turned to retreat, the shields moved. Men broke from the line and began to pursue his infantry, opening a hole. He watched more and more of the English power down the hill, intent on smashing his infantry in their panic. As the English soldiers reached the halfway point between his army and theirs, William signaled his cavalry and infantry reserves to advance. The English pursuers didn't see the advancing line fast enough. By the time they turned to run back to their own lines, his cavalry had already caught up to them. The Men Who Would Be King In 1042, Edward the Confessor was crowned the King of England. The son of Vikings who had been allowed to settle in Normandy, France, Edward was a pious king whose ascension to the English throne began a deep-seated Norman interest in politics on the English Isle. Much of his reign was spent suppressing rebellions and dealing harshly with Scotland and Wales, neither of which supported his rule. During the course of his life, Edward never conceived an heir, and as he grew older, disagreements began as to who would claim the throne once he died. One of the primary candidates was the Earl of Wessex, Harold Godwinson, who was a prominent aristocrat within the royal court. The other two were William, the Duke of Normandy, and Harald Hardrada of Norway both of whom stated they were promised the throne when King Edward died. Due to Harold's proximity within the royal court, his connections, and support within the king's council, he was able to take the throne. Both William and Hardrada contested this appointment, claiming that the court, circumstance, and even the bishop who had conducted the ceremony was illegitimate. Both men immediately started to recruit troops for war. Invasion from the North Hardrada was able to muster his forces faster than William. He set sail in September of 1066 and made landfall in northern England with over 300 ships and roughly 15,000 men. His forces were further strengthened by King Harold's brother, Tostig, who had mustered a large force after being exiled by his brother months before. The two armies merged and attacked York, easily overpowering the English forces stationed there. Hardrada and Tostig took slaves, resupplied, 
and continued their march south. During this time, King Harold had been building his army in the south in preparation for William's invasion. When he learned about the northern landing and the occupation of York, he advanced with his army, recruiting as many soldiers as possible on the way. He caught them a few weeks later completely by surprise at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. When the Nordic forces saw the approaching English army, they moved fast to form a defensive circle, leaving behind most of their armor in their camp. According to an Icelandic historian, a single rider rode to Hardrada and Tostig before the battle commenced, speaking to the latter before riding off again. Hardrada, impressed by the rider's guile, asked who it was and what was said. Tostig stated that it was King Harold himself, and that the king had told Tostig that if he turned against Hardrada, his earldom would be restored. When Tostig asked what his brother Harold would be willing to give Hardrada, the king had replied, seven feet of English ground, as he is taller than other men. The battle commenced and lasted for several hours. Finally, being completely outnumbered, outflanked, and having lost both Hardrada and Tostig, the Norwegian army began to collapse, and by the end of the day was completely annihilated. King Harold's victory was total, but it came at a high price. Much of his army was either dead, wounded, or battered to the point of exhaustion. Invasion from the South During this time, William was preparing his army and building his fleet. He had planned to cross the English Channel in August, but due to weather conditions, was not able to cross in September, making landfall in Hastings on September 28th. Upon landing, William established a beachhead. He built a wooden castle and immediately started raiding the surrounding towns and villages, which for some reason is something Vikings felt compelled to do. The army of the Normans and English were vastly different. The Normans had cavalry, archers, and infantry with heavy armor, while the English relied primarily on infantry with lighter armor, missile troops, and large shields to protect from arrows and horses. William was an experienced commander and a veteran of many battles. In contrast, King Harold was a relative novice when it came to battle and was still learning when the two armies met six miles west of William's castle at Hastings. It is likely that King Harold learned of William's landing on his way back south. He increased the speed of his advance to roughly 27 miles a day, further exhausting his troops. As before, King Harold tried to surprise the Normans and attack quickly, but scouts alerted William, and the English pulled back their attack to take a defensive position on a hill. Both forces made their encampment near one another as they planned their strategy for the next day. The Battle of Hastings It's recorded that trumpets were sounded at dawn on October 14th before the battle began. The English army formed in a dense formation on a large hill and interlocked their shields. They were flanked by forests and marshes, and as a result, were not worried about an attack from either side. The Norman army positioned two battalions on the flanks and one in the center. The front lines of his army were composed of archers, then infantry, with cavalry being held in reserve. It was William's plan to weaken the English with his archers and then use the infantry to make holes in the shield wall before sending the cavalry into attack. As planned, the Norman army unleashed a barrage of arrows against the English, but found it ineffective due to the elevation of the hill and the shield wall. Many arrows either bounced off the wooden shields or missed completely. Additionally, the archers found themselves at a disadvantage when they realized that since the English had no archers, there were no new arrows in the ground to claim and reuse. As a result, the archers ran out of arrows quickly. Finding his archers ineffective, William then ordered his infantry forward to make a hole in the English for his cavalry. 
Unfortunately, his forces were required to run uphill, and as they neared the wall of shields, missile troops began to rain spears, rocks, and other projectiles down on the Normans before they could reach the English. When the two lines of infantry met, the English repelled the Normans again and again before the Norman line broke and began to retreat. It's not recorded who gave the order to advance, but during the rout of the Norman army, the English line broke formation and began to pursue. William watched this and ordered his cavalry and reserve infantry to decimate the English soldiers who were in pursuit. The soldiers who remained in formation came together to reform the shield wall as the pursuing English ran back to join them. The battle continued all day. Wave after wave of Normans broke on the English wall of shields. The Norman army was almost completely routed when they thought William had been killed. To stop the rout, the Duke removed his helmet and rode out to meet his infantry to prove he was still alive. William then tried flanking, but could not because of the bad ground. Both armies took a break midday, and when they returned, William ordered his men to advance and then retreat away from the English line a second time, further thinning the line of English soldiers. After hours of fights and skirmishes, King Harold was clubbed to death by Norman soldiers. Upon hearing about the death of their king, the English forces began to panic. Many of them fled, while some made last stands on the battlefield. The battle officially ended at dusk with the Norman army pursuing the fleeing English. In that moment, England and history was changed forever. After his victory at Hastings, William marched on London, decimating everything that stood in his way. He was crowned King of England on Christmas Day in 1066. Throughout the entirety of his reign, he would continually put down uprisings throughout the country, brutally punishing anyone who challenged him. The Turning Point the changed England. This battle is not a turning point solely because of William the Conqueror. It is due to the cultural change he brought with him when he crossed the Channel in September 1066. First, with the Norman-French king came a new language within the English court. Though William never learned English, French words and grammar became largely intermixed and French was spoken within the court for centuries after. This created new words, phrases, and other components of the English language we use today. This was further augmented by the customs, laws, and beliefs the Normans brought with them when they settled under their new king. Second, William and his new court brought architecture from France and the rest of Europe to England. This changed the way buildings were constructed, the way stone was carved, and the design of structures from houses to castles. Finally, the genealogy of England would forever be changed as more Normans settled in the area. Today, it is estimated that roughly 25% of people in England are descendants of the Normans that crossed the Channel both before and after the Battle of Hastings. Since the fall of Rome, Anglo-Saxon kings had reigned in England for 600 years. When William the Conqueror invaded and claimed the throne, he not only changed the line of kings, but the nation and history of England forever. Laws, Customs, architecture, and language would change over the centuries as the peoples of England merged with the Normans. The England we see today exists because of the Battle of Hastings. This, like so many other turning points in history, forever changed the face of a nation and the world as a whole. Thank you for joining us on 15-Minute History. Please take a moment and leave us a review and tell your friends about this podcast. We hope you will join us for our discussion on this topic and tune in next week as we walk in history's footsteps 15 minutes at a time.